Good morning. Welcome. Let us stand, hear from God's word. Psalm 47 calls us to worship. It says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. We need to remember this, don't we? Our God reigns over kings, over governments. Our God reigns over our trials and suffering. Our God reigns over the hearts of our children and over our hearts. Our God reigns over this gathering. Our God reigns. Amen. Let us rejoice. Let us clap together and celebrate our great God and King. Great King, all the earth. 
such great words. I love those two emphatic words. He is a great king, not a, just a good king. And he's a king over all the earth, all the universe, not some of the earth. Words that are so true and comforting from Psalm 47. You can take a seat. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad you're with us here at Desert Springs Church. Uh, if you'd like to reach out, and we'd love it if you would, please shoot us an email at info at dscabq.com. A couple announcements, things that are coming up, uh, opportunities really for fellowship, for worship, for growth. The first is just a few days away. This Wednesday, we're doing our Lord's Supper service uh, here. Sounds odd to say physically, um, in person, and to qualify things that way, but that's, that's how we'll do it. We need you to register so we can plan ahead on how many come, and you can do that by either your DSC app on your smartphone. There's a little thing on the bottom that says register or registration. Or go to the website and click on upcoming, and then you'll see a graphic for the Lord's Supper. You can click on that. That'll take you right to the registration page. Let me give a quick qualifier. If you are going to join us from home, uh, we will live stream it. We're asking that you not prepare elements and take of the Lord's Supper by yourself in your home. Uh, we think the New Testament teaches that we do that together, and again, together meaning physically together, uh, not together by Zoom or by streaming, as a church, together with one another. And I'm going to talk about that more in my Tuesday email to the church. Uh, if you don't get those, you can sign up for them, and on Tuesday, you can actually go to the website, click on that red banner at the top, which is news during these COVID times, scroll down under the instructions for church on Sundays, and uh, you'll see that email from me with Tuesday's date. Second thing to mention is that we're restarting our gospel men's seminars, which is great, and, and great opportunities for guys to fellowship, learn, again, together, in person, physically. That'll be about a month from now on a Saturday, October 24th. Guys, we need you to register, again, using the app or the website so that we can plan ahead for that. We'll do that in the worship center here so we can spread out. We have Pastor Nathan from Christ Church who will be teaching on the topic of media and technology. You know, what does a gospel man do with those? How does he use them? When does he not use them? And when he's accessing them, how does he do so in a wise manner. So very timely, pertinent topics, especially for this year. Well, let's bring things back to today and this service. Pray with me, please. Father, use your spirit and use your word. Use your presence here this day to draw, to convict, to give life, and to fill. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and lift our hearts in praise. Give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Give to the Lord of Lords renown, the King of Kings with glory crown. His mercy. 
mercies ever shall endure when lords and kings are known no
Father, you know better than us our sinful inclinations. Father, we as a congregation, we as individuals, we confess that we have sinned this week. That our hearts have said, the problem is out there and I and we, we are the solution. Just listen to me. We have not considered that the world is just what the Bible says it is. A place without Christ and in need of Christ. We have not considered that Christ is the solution, not our opinions. We have not considered that in me, in my heart, in our hearts, there are so many sinful and ugly and perverted thoughts and ways. God, we have gossiped this week. We have been envious. We have been bitter. We have withheld forgiveness. We have been angry in an unrighteous way, and we have demeaned and looked down on others. And we have treated your word and your presence as something ordinary, something only worth a few minutes of our attention when nothing important is going on. We have been sinfully proud and we have exalted ourselves. It is we who are right about faith, about politics, about marriage, parenting, relationships. We are right in our own eyes. And we have not fixed our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. So, Father, be merciful to us. May your mercy be upon us. May the mercies of Christ not only be in us theologically, but run through our thoughts and actions. Thank you for a mercy that is unrestrained like a flood. Be merciful to us and change us by your spirit 
in your word even this hour. Father, for a country that seems more bent on hatred than kindness, a country that often seems more interested in money than in sacrifice, that often seems obsessed with rights and not with serving others, a country that kills millions of unborn babies, the most innocent and defenseless in our communities. God, have mercy. Stay your judgment on this country and this world so that your Holy Spirit may rescue more lives from death, the death of being in this life and the one to come without Jesus. Father, thank you for holding us fast. When we are unfaithful, Jesus is faithful. And for that, we are so, so grateful. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of hope, the gift of adoption, the gift of life, the gift of the resurrection of the body, the gift of the communion of the saints, and the gift of your mercy. Amen. Let us stand and lay hold of these truths that they might dwell richly within us. When I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my own Through life's fearful path For my love is all
believe that? Say amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Good morning, church. If I haven't met you, my name is Chase. I am the minister of theological training here. And if you've got a Bible, let's go to the book of Jude for our second of a two-part series in this little letter, the book of Jude. Jude is in the back of your Bible. If Revelation is the last book, Jude is one page before the book of Revelation. And this morning we will be studying some very dense and wonderful verses, verses 17 to 25. So let me read these verses to us and we'll dive in. This is the book of Jude, 17 to 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's God's word. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would have mercy on us now. Lord, give to us out of your grace, according to your love. Help us to understand these words and build us up in our most holy faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we moved into our house about a year ago. And ever since we moved in, we have been going to a playground, a park that's just down the street from our house. And uh, it's, it's great. It's a really nice park. It looks like it's pretty new. But there is something about this park that seems like it was specifically designed to kill my kid. Like everything is a lot higher than it needs to be. And the stuff that you climb on is super awkward. And there are places that are up so high that have no guardrails whatsoever. There is a climbing wall, no kidding, a 12-foot climbing wall like there would be in a rock climbing gym or something. And, and so we were like, what is the deal with this playground? Well, we realized after months of taking our daughter there uh, that there was a sticker kind of stuck on the back of the thing that said that this equipment was designed for 5 to 12-year-olds. And our daughter was 3. So it was specifically designed to kill my kid. But that was our playground. It was right down the street, and so we were just extra vigilant as our daughter plays on this playground. And, of course, she loves the climbing wall. And now she's really good at it, but she wasn't at first. And so at first she would walk up to this climbing wall, and she would be putting her hands on the holds and, and making her way up. And the whole time I'm behind her like this, making sure that she doesn't fall. And now she can't see my hands 
She is just climbing. She probably feels like that guy that climbed El Capitan without a rope. And she was climbing it. She was deciding where her hands went. She was pulling herself up. But I was there in case she fell. I was there the whole time. I think that's something of what the book of Jude is trying to capture with regards to our faith and to God's activity in our lives. And of course, that analogy breaks down almost immediately because God's activity in our own lives is is so much closer and it's so much more active and it's so much more powerful. But we are still working ourselves. We are still climbing the wall of our faith. Only as we work, God is working. He's working in and through us, even if it doesn't always seem like he is. He is keeping us in our faith. If you were with us last week or you were listening last week, we covered the first major section of the book of Jude, verses 1 to 16. And in that section in verses 3 and 4, we saw kind of the thesis of this book. Verse 3 gives us the urgent appeal of this letter, which is that we are to contend or to fight for the faith once we're all delivered to the saints. And then verse 4 tells us why. Because certain men have crept into the church. You remember we called them creepers. They had crept into the church and they were leading the church in a false teaching of licentiousness. They had claimed Christ and his grace as an excuse for sin. And what they were actually teaching and living was contrary, was out of step with the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So the rest of that section, verses 5 to 16, is just describing who we are fighting. So if last week was who we are fighting, well this week is how we are fighting. Last week was focused on the enemies of the church. This week it shifts in verse 17 to focusing on the church and how we contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So beginning in verses 17 to 21, we see the command to keep yourself. Notice that both verses 17 and 20 begin with, but you. So that introduces a a break in the letter. This is the second division in the letter. And it also introduces a contrast. Jude is contrasting these false teachers with the true church. In verse 17 he writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude is saying that we shouldn't be surprised that we have to contend with enemies of the church. From the very beginning, our greatest enemy has tried to oppose the true faith. And that has just unfolded time and again. That's why, if you were with us last week, that whole section of that letter is just this litany of Old Testament examples of these same kinds of enemies. The people of God have always had to contend with rebellious, ungodly people, even coming from within their own ranks. And we will continue to do so. That was prophesied by the apostles, Jude says. And it was prophesied by Jesus himself who said in the last days there would arise false teachers, even false Christs. 
Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing that will sneak in and try to snatch away the disciples and carry them astray. Judah's saying to this church, this is that. These false teachers that are coming into your church, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. This is exactly what the apostles said would happen. You don't need to be surprised by that. You have been warned, and so have we. That's why Jude's letter is just as urgent for us today as it was 2,000 years ago because Jude says this will happen in the last time. Well, the Bible says we are in the last time right now and we will be until Jesus comes back. So we know that there is every likelihood that we will have to contend with false teachers and we know that there is every likelihood that Christians will be tempted to fall away from the true faith. We have been warned And forewarned is forearmed. So how do we arm ourselves? That's the question, and that's what Jude has been driving to. Verses 20 to 21 tell us how we arm ourselves. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I think these are some of the most important verses in the book of Jude. If you're the kind of person that underlines in your Bible, I would underline these verses, and then I would circle right there in the middle of those verses this little phrase, the love of God. I think everything in this whole letter flows out of that, that we are loved by God. Four times in this short little letter, Jude calls the church beloved And that's beloved by Jude, yes, but it's more importantly as in verse 1, as those who are beloved in God, the Father. And this is the greatest point of contrast between the enemies of the church and the true church. These false teachers, they love only themselves. They boast about God's love, sure. They, they, they even claim God's love is just an excuse to sin, but they don't love God. They deny God, Jude says. They live ungodly lives without any reference or concern for God. They don't love God, and they don't love their neighbor as themselves. Jude says that they have snuck into the church's love feasts, their fellowship meals, only to take advantage, only to feed themselves off of the love of the church. They don't love God and they don't love others, which is to say that they have broken all of God's commands. And so, on the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes, they will not experience God's love. They will only experience God's wrath. That's what Jude said at the end of the first section in verse 14. The Lord will come with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. They have not loved God and so they will not be loved by God But that's all of us. That's all of us when we consider what Jude has to say about these false teachers and their sin and their ungodliness in the last section. 
that none of us are any better than these false teachers. All of us have failed to love others as we should. All of us have failed to recognize and acknowledge God for who he is. All of us have broken God's commandments. But in spite of that, God loved us. That's, that's the difference between these unloving false teachers and the true church is that the true church is loved by God. Loved with an eternal, unchanging love that was set on us before the foundations of the world. Love that is the overflow of the triune God who has existed in perfect love and fellowship for all of eternity. The Father loving the Son, loving the Spirit. That's why we can say God is love and that God who is love has loved us with a love that was most clearly exhibited for us in Christ, in the Son of God who left that loving fellowship with God in perfect harmony in heaven and came down to become flesh, to be hated by the world, but to perfectly obey his Father's commands, to love God and to love neighbor in a way that none of us ever has or will ever be able to. And that Son of God who deserved nothing but God's love in our place suffered God's wrath. The wrath that we deserve for our ungodliness. He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive mercy from God. That's God's love. And it's the most incredible thing that in one moment, in one moment, you can go from being an object of God's wrath to being an object of God's love. Just like that. God's eternal, abundant unchanging love can be yours. And what's the difference? It's just faith. It's recognizing that you have failed to love God as you ought to, that you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself. You recognize that you do deserve God's wrath and you ask God for forgiveness. And as soon as you turn to him and say, God, I'm sorry, I want to love you. He says, hey, I've been loving you since before the world existed. And your sins are forgiven by the work of my son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's good news, amen? I wonder if you've believed that gospel. Do you love God? Do you really love God or do you still love yourself? You can turn right now and you can experience eternal love. All you have to do is confess Jesus as your Savior, Jesus as your Lord, and then in an instant you will be called what Jude calls the church in verse 1, beloved in God the Father. But something else amazing happens at that moment where you believe in Jesus and you're forgiven of your sins. You are the recipient of his love and mercy. Not only do you become beloved of God the Father, but verse 1 says you are also kept for Jesus Christ. To keep means to guard or to protect. So this word can be used to describe someone that is in prison. That's actually how the word is used in verse 6 to describe the rebellious angels that God has put in prison in gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. 
They are being kept there. They are being guarded in this prison, and God's not going to let them escape. They're going to be kept there until the time of judgment. But that word can also mean like when you have something valuable and you place it in a safe. Why do you do that? Well, you don't want anyone to get in and take it. And you don't want it to somehow get lost. It's valuable. You are valuable to God. As soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are kept for and by Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't going to let anything come in and get you. And he's not going to let you be lost. Jesus says in John 10, verse 28, I give you eternal life and nothing will snatch you out of my hand. Isn't that good news? And I believe that that means that Jesus will not let you escape either. That you, once saved, cannot become unsaved. That you are being kept for Jesus Christ. He will hold you fast. Romans 8, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No! In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul writes, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. That includes your own weakness, your own sinful heart. None of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We are kept for Jesus Christ. And that's what makes what Jude says in verse 21 so remarkable. What does he say? What's the command in verse 21? Beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Did, did Jude suddenly forget what he wrote in verse 1? 20 verses later, he's gotten confused and he thinks it's somehow up to us. Of course not. This is Jude just trying to express another one of these glorious tensions in the Bible. Jude doesn't view what we call the perseverance of the saints as something that is passive, but it's active. It's an active process. Yes, the Bible teaches that a true Christian cannot lose their salvation, but the means of our being sovereignly kept by God is our actively keeping ourselves in his love. You gotta keep holding onto the wall. You gotta keep reaching up and pulling yourself up, but God the whole time is behind you like this. When we keep ourselves we will realize that it was God keeping us the whole time. And this is a mystery. We don't understand how those two things can be true at the same time, but we take the Bible at its word, we believe it, and we obey it. So Jude says to us who are loved by God and kept by Christ to keep ourselves in that love. So how? That's the question. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? Well, in verses 20 to 21, these important verses, they all center around that command, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then orbiting around that command are three different I-N-G words. They end with I-N-G. Building, praying, and waiting. 
And each one of those three words helps us understand how we are to keep ourselves in God's love. So first in verse 20, we keep ourselves in God's love by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. The most holy faith, that's the same thing that we're called to contend for in verse 3. It's the body of Christian doctrine. And we're to build ourselves up in it. It's an interesting metaphor because to build up is to like put bricks or structure onto a building to add to it to build it up and we are to do that to ourselves somehow and it doesn't mean that we build ourselves up in the faith by adding new things to the faith the faith was the once for all delivered to the saints faith it doesn't change it doesn't get added to but what Jude is saying is that we build ourselves up as we add to our depth of knowledge and understanding about that faith once for all delivered to the saints. Tom Schreiner in his commentary on the book of Jude writes, Jude did not think that growth occurred mystically or mysteriously. Instead, believers experience God's love as their understanding of the faith increases. He writes, affection for God increases not through bypassing the mind, but by means of it. Do you hear that? Affection for God, love for God, increases not by bypassing the minds, but by means of it. So in other words, we keep ourselves in God's love by learning more about God's love. Well, how do we do that? This is the revelation of God's love to us. This is the revelation of God's redemption. It's the record of his loving us through Jesus Christ. But more than that, this book is God's very word itself telling us on every page, I love you. I love you. And so the more we keep ourselves in this book, hearing God telling us that he loves us, the more we keep ourselves in his love. So we read it, and we reread it, and we contemplate it, this love letter from God. And if we don't understand it, then we go to somebody else and we say, help me understand what this means, because this is God telling me how much he loves me. That's how we keep ourselves in God's love, by building ourselves up in our most holy faith, and then by praying in the Holy Spirit. So if our, if our reading the Bible is where God talks to us, prayer is where we talk back to God. And all of that implies a loving relationship. Imagine if in your marriage only one of you ever talked. That wouldn't be a very good relationship. That wouldn't feel much like love. But we are in a relationship with God our Father through Jesus Christ. And so God talks to us. He tells us that he loves us through his word. And then we talk back to God in prayer. And we pray in the Holy Spirit, Jude says, which I love is just another contrast with those false teachers who he says are devoid of the Spirit. They're devoid of the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit, which is just to say that we pray humbly and according to God's will in fellowship with God, in relationship with God. And when we're praying, we tell God that we love him. We tell God, I adore you, I worship you. We recount all of the things about him that we love. And when we pray, 
We, we pray to God thanking him for his love to us that we've seen in tangible ways. We thank him for the food. We thank him for the shelter. We thank him for the clothes. And then we thank him for all the massive things. We thank him for Christ. We thank him for hope. And we pray to God and we ask him as our loving father to provide needs for us and for those others that we love. And we know that when we pray to this loving God, he will care for us. He will meet our needs. And praying like that, that keeps us in the love of God. And thirdly, we keep ourselves in the love of God by verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I like the, the progression that Jude is following in these verses. As we study God's word, as we grow in our understanding of his revelation to us, not only do we come to appreciate and know his love better, but we also come to appreciate our own sin. And when we realize how we have not loved God and have not loved others, that drives us to confession in prayer. Just like Pastor Ron prayed for us earlier this morning, we go to God and we confess our sins to God and we know 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we pray that prayer of confession, we are reminded again that we are forgiven by the work of Christ on the cross. We just appreciate again the mercy that we have been shown. Mercy is another one of Jude's favorite words in this letter. If grace is God giving to us something that we do not deserve, like a gift, mercy is God not giving to us something that we do deserve, namely his wrath. And so we know that on the day when Christ Jesus returns to execute judgment on the ungodly, that won't be us. We've been forgiven. That wrath has already been poured out on the cross. On that day, we will receive mercy. Mercy because of Jesus. Mercy that leads to eternal life. And that day, we won't receive God's wrath. We will just receive his love. And it's a love that will last forever and ever. And Jude says that we keep ourselves in God's love by waiting for that day. So church, don't take your eyes off of where we're headed. Don't get caught up in the worries or the pleasures of this life. We are not this worldly people. That's what he says about the false teachers. They are worldly, but we are next worldly people. We wait for that day. And when Jude says to wait, don't think of that like you're waiting for a bus where you're just standing at the bus stop waiting for the day to come and pick you up. We are to wait for that day like when you're running a race and you can't wait to get to the finish line. You can't stop running. You can't stop building yourself up in your most holy faith. You can't stop praying in the Holy Spirit. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you look forward to the end. You don't know when it's coming, but you're striving for it. You're waiting for it, just like Paul says. That is how you keep yourself in God's love. And that's also how we keep one another in God's love. In verses 17 to 21, we are told to keep ourselves. In verses 22 to 23, 
we're told to keep each other. Keep yourselves and keep each other. Remember, Jude was not written to an individual Christian. It was written to the whole church. So this charge that we keep ourselves in God's love, it's worked out in community. We contend for the faith together. We build up one another in our most holy faith. We pray for and with one another. We wait for Christ's mercy and eternal life together. In a very meaningful sense, the church is a group run. You are running a race with your friends. And the church's job is to ensure that everyone gets to the finish line. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another, to prod on one another, to love in good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. Do you remember what he says? As you see the day drawing near. We're in a race together, church. And we encourage one another. We say, come on, keep going. We're almost there. Don't stop. Don't give up. The finish line is coming. We are to keep each other, which is to say we too are to guard each other. We are to keep one another from escaping outside of God's love. This is amazing. And, you know, as I said, Jude does not see our perseverance, our, our continuing in our salvation as a passive process. It's an active process. It's worked out through means. And one of the means that God uses to keep us from losing our salvation is the church. Look what Jude says in verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here again, there's a, there's a list of three. Jude likes lists of threes. I don't know if you noticed that. All through the letter, there's three, three, three. Here he's giving us three different people that are in different stages of wandering out of God's love. And Jude is telling us how as a church we are to respond to them, to keep them in God's love, to keep them from wandering out. This is how Christ holds us in his hand. And I think this section overlaps really well with Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, where he talks about the process of church discipline, how we are to guard one another in the church. And in the same way, there's this kind of increasing seriousness, a progression. But note what word is repeated here in Jude 22 and 23. Mercy. Mercy. There it is again. All of this is rooted in mercy. The same mercy that we were waiting for from Jesus Christ in verse 21. We are to show to other brothers and sisters even as we confront them in their sin, which is what this passage is about. We are to be merciful to one another. So in verse 22, Jude addresses those who doubt. It's probably in its Context is referring to this issue with these false teachers. There are probably some in the church who have heard this teaching and are unsettled by it. They're starting to have doubts about the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But beyond that, we can just apply this to our own doubts, to our own uncertainty. I think it's worth saying that Jude is not talking about skepticism or cynicism. This is different. 
There's a difference between doubt and skepticism when it comes to our faith because our culture has made something of a virtue out of perpetual skepticism, about of being hard to convince, about always demanding more and more evidence and never being quite satisfied, always looking at it askance. No matter how many times good evidence is put before you, no matter how many times your questions get answered, you, you have made a virtue out of always being skeptical. That's not doubt, that's obstinacy. That's using doubt as an excuse to just put off the things of God. That's not what Jude is talking about. What Jude is talking about is, is real doubt, is honest doubt that's marked by humility and a degree of sincerity, and even as one author put it, having the courage to doubt your own doubts. You are coming genuinely wanting answers. And so how is the church supposed to treat those who doubt with mercy? If you have doubts, if you have questions, the church is the place where you should bring those questions. No one should ever say that our church is not a safe place to ask questions. This is the best place to ask questions. And asking questions is how you build yourself up in your most holy faith. So church, when someone comes to you with doubts, with concerns, don't be afraid of that. Don't be put off by that. The strong come alongside the weak and we say, let's go to the place where there are answers to your doubt. Let me give you some answers here. We have mercy on those who doubt. And then in verse 23, we save others by snatching them out of the fire. So again, there's a progression. This has moved from those who just have doubts to those who have maybe followed these false teachers into some kind of blatant sin. It's obvious that they are disobeying God's commands and that they are in serious danger, but they don't realize it. And so what does Jude say we're supposed to do for them? We're supposed to save them by snatching them out of the fire. What's, what's the fire? It's that judgment that's coming. When Jesus returns. It's the fire of hell that we are begging them to repent of their sins so that they would not receive that judgment in that day. We are snatching them out of the fire. This is what Jesus describes in Matthew 18. If your brother is sinning, you go and tell them their fault, begging them to repent in the spirit of trying to gain back, to turn back your brother because they're about to drive off of a cliff. Now, maybe you've been in that process of having to tell someone that you love that you think they are sinning. Is that pleasant? No. Is this going to be fun? Of course not. May this even lead to relational tension? Yeah. That's why I like that Jude uses the word snatching. Snatching is forceful. Snatching in and of itself can hurt somebody. To talk to someone about their sin, that, that may be very hard and very uncomfortable. But what's the alternative? There have been times when I'm with my daughter and she will fall. She will fall off of something high or she might fall off of the curb into the street. And so what do I do? I snatch her. And there have been times where in snatching her, I hurt her. And she starts crying. But what could have happened? She could have died. So it's really the most loving thing that I can do to spare her the uncomfort of being snatched or to save me from that uncomfort and let her fall into the street. 
Jude says, no, we show mercy by snatching others out of the fire. And here's the thing. If you prayerfully, mercifully correct a true Christian in their sin, you know what's going to happen? It may be uncomfortable at first. There may be some sin that gets stirred up, but the Holy Spirit will work in that brother or sister and lead them to repentance. And at some point, they will turn to you and they will say, thank you. You saved me. Jude's brother, James, wrote in the book of James, chapter 5, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we are merciful to doubters and we are merciful to those who are wandering near the flames. And lastly, still in verse 23, To others we show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So this is likely the end of that progression. This is those who have been warned multiple times that they are wandering near the flames, that they are walking in sin. They have been called out, but they they fail to repent. They refuse to repent. They, They continue to justify their sin. They continue to prove that they love their sin more than they love God and love his church. How are we to treat them? We're even to show them mercy. But how? Mercy how? With fear and hate. This is really interesting. We're not supposed to fear them. We're not supposed to hate them. We're supposed to be merciful to them, but we are supposed to fear and hate their sin. Jude's language here is actually quite graphic. When he says the garment stained by the flesh, that's really, that's really to say that we are to view their sin like an undergarment that has been stained by excrement. That's what it says. Now, in a Jewish context, that would have been ritually undefiling, or ritually defiling, rather. In our own context, that's just gross. How close do you want to be to that? You want people walking in to the church with that? Are you okay with them passing that around even near your kids? We want to put a healthy distance between us and sin because it is defiling. It is gross. And if there is anyone that refuses to view sin that way, that treats sin as something to be justified or treats sin as something to be glorified, well, then we're to put them out of the church or we'll be defiled by it. And even that is an act of mercy to that person. Even that is showing mercy to them because even that act of what we would call formal church discipline, that's meant to even bring them to their senses. That's meant to draw a really clear line about where they stand in relation with God and how bad their sin really is and so we hope that even by that process that might lead them to their senses and to hear for the first time the gospel that says no matter how sinful you are no matter how dirty you are you can turn you can take off that garment and you can put it on Christ who died on the cross and in that moment you will be shown mercy you will be brought back in you will be cleansed of your sins and you will be kept. This is the flow of this letter. Keep yourselves and keep each other because God is able to keep you.
verses 24 to 25. If Jude ended at verse 23, some of us would walk away and we would say, oh, I get it. Okay, read my Bible, pray, and don't sin. I can do that. And others of us would walk away and we would just be in complete despair. Build myself up. All I feel like is I fall down every day. Keep myself. I can't do that. There's no way. In either of those instances, your focus is on yourself and on your own perceived ability or inability. And that's why this book doesn't end at verse 23. That's why this book doesn't end with a list of commands about what we should do or not do. How does it end? It ends with worship. It ends with a doxology, a statement of praise directed to God, focused on God. Are you proud? Humble yourself and look to God. Are you weak? Be encouraged and look to God. Because this is ultimately not about our ability or inability. It is about God who alone is able. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to what? Keep you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Verse 21 does tell us to keep ourselves. As we already said, verse 1 tells us that we have been kept for Jesus Christ. And here in verse 24, it says that even our being kept is entirely up to God who is able. So we've come full circle in this glorious tension. It's like our keeping ourselves is bookended in this letter by God keeping us. This is like me with my daughter. Yeah, she's climbing that wall, but I'm on either side right there making sure that she won't fall. And we don't need to focus more on our ability. We need to focus on a God who is able because he is a loving God. So even as we respond in faith to this call to keep ourselves, to build ourselves up, to pray and to keep a watch over one another, we do that in full reliance on this God. Jude says in verse 24, he alone is able to keep you from stumbling. It doesn't mean that he will keep you from ever falling into sin. We don't believe in sinless perfection in this life. But what that means is that God is always there with you and he will never let you fall away from the faith. When my daughter's climbing up that wall. She may fall off of the wall, but I'm going to catch her before she hits the ground and I'm gonna put her right back up where she was. That is how God will treat you. God is able to keep you. And when we do sin, when we do fall, when God does catch us, he'll lead us as true believers to confess again, to repent again, and to experience again his mercy. 
And that's why in verse 24, Jude says, God will present us blameless, blameless, before the presence of his glory. We talked about the stained garment. Blameless means without blemish, perfectly clean. No matter what you've done, it will be taken away and you will just stand before God's presence perfect and holy. And what does it say? We're going to stand before his presence with what? Great joy. Great joy. Isn't that our hope? Isn't that the hope of eternal life? That we will stand before God and not see a frown on his face? see a smile stand before God and not be the object of his wrath but be the recipient of his love then we'll have joy we'll have joy to see him face to face we'll have joy to share in that love that has existed before the foundation of the world we will have that joy of experiencing the pleasures that are at God's right hand forevermore in a new heavens in a new earth where righteousness dwells we will have joy because it was God alone who was able to do that to us sinners to show us mercy and to redeem us and to restore us and to glorify us and to cause us to have that joy God is able and we will have joy because he did it not only is he able but he did it to you he loved you he saved you and he will keep you blameless until that day and so praise God like Jude does praise God is the only God is the only object of our worship praise God is the Lord of the universe who has been Lord of the universe before the universe even existed Praise God to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. We praise you for your love, the way that you have loved us and shown us grace, shown us mercy. Lord, help us to grow in our understanding of that love and help us to guard one another in that love. Help us to love others the way that you have loved us. God, if there's anyone here that, that still refuses to love you or still refuses to let you love them, God, I pray that you would love them right now and lead them to repentance. And Lord, would you keep us all blameless until that day because you are able. Amen. Let us stand to respond, to consider the immeasurable love of our God. The lowest 
Shall I play? 
cry is love, the love that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ, the love that we want to show to one another and to a dying world. If you have not received this love of God, believed in this love of God, we want you to. We want to give this gift to you of forgiveness and and of fellowship with God. So if you have questions about what that means, if you have doubts you will be received with mercy here. There will be somebody out in the courtyard that would love to talk to you. You can email us, but please don't walk away from this place without getting those doubts answered. Maybe even by the person sitting next to you. And for the rest of us, let's keep marching. Let's keep running that race. Let's keep loving God. Let's keep ourselves in God's love and let's keep one another. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Okay, we're dismissing a little bit differently this morning. We won't have any ushers coming down, but it's the same old drill. So if you are in these sections right here, you can make your way to those exits now on this bottom row. We'll just dismiss from the front to the back. So wait until the row in front of you is cleared in the back. We'll start from the back, working our way forward. Same things. Don't leave until the row behind you is cleared. Down here, you'll make your way to these exits. Back there, you'll make your way to those exits. Go in grace. We love you very much. Happy Sunday.